What comes to your mind? Answer in your own heart. What comes to your mind when you think of forgiveness? What images do you get? Covers a lot of things. Forgiveness covers a tremendous area of experience. And this morning, we want to try to understand from a biblical perspective what forgiveness is. And to try and enter into an understanding of how we can experience the freedom of forgiveness. The freedom of forgiveness. So let's just commit our hearts to the Lord a moment. Just join me in prayer, if you would, please. We thank you, Father, that forgiveness is real. We thank you that you have extended it to us through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We ask this morning that we might understand in more depth and more completely and, and to be able to put into practice the reality of forgiveness. Thank you for this opportunity. We ask that your Holy Spirit would guide our thinking, guide our expressions, that each of us would be willing to listen and respond in the appropriate way to what you say to us. We commit ourselves to you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two aspects, obviously, of forgiveness. One of them has to do with the forgiveness that is mentioned in Ephesians 1.7. And we're all familiar with this passage where God tells us that we have been granted the forgiveness of sin. Redemption. It says, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption. The forgiveness of of sins, according to the riches of his grace. In Christ, the forgiveness of sins. You know, it's interesting that even though that is very real and very much a part of what God has sought to communicate to the world today, the majority of people in our society know nothing of that forgiveness. Even many people who attend church regularly don't understand and can't enter into the reality of that forgiveness. And so we have, we have a, a generation of people who are seeking to be free of their guilt, seeking to experience the reality of forgiveness by doing something by trying to do the right things, by living the right way, by performing the right functions, religious functions even, traditional religious functions, hoping that somehow that is going to bring to their experience the, the releasing of some of the guilt that they feel and, and allow them to experience the reality of forgiveness. That goes on around the world. As I've traveled in Asia, and traveled in Latin America and in Africa, one after another of religious systems 
are built around that concept of trying to help people understand and believe that if they do certain things, if they perform certain functions, somehow they're going to experience the reality of forgiveness, the freedom of forgiveness. And of course, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't come. Self-efforts, whatever kind they are, as religious as they might be, will never, never produce for us the reality of the freedom of forgiveness. This deep desire that all of us have to be free of guilt. So, one aspect of forgiveness, then, has to do with the forgiveness that we receive from God when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess our need and ask him to forgive us and to take us into his family and to make us new creatures and give us a new experience of freedom, of forgiveness. Now, many of you here this morning have experienced that, and I I know that's true and that's delightful, but there are some here, undoubtedly, who still do not know the reality of that forgiveness. We want very much this morning to help you make that transition and take that step so that you can leave here with the assurance of that forgiveness, knowing that God has forgiven you in Christ and that you have a new life and that you can begin to develop a whole new pattern of of experience and new values that will honor God and that will make you the person that you want to be. So, that forgiveness, the forgiveness that we receive from God, is one aspect. But the passage that we're going to look at this morning deals with the other side of forgiveness. And that is the forgiveness that you and I can confer or give to another person or experience from another person. Now, let me just lay the foundation by making a couple of statements. This forgiveness that we're going to study about in Luke, the 17th chapter, as you have in your bulletins, this forgiveness is a primary factor in spiritual and emotional healing. There are many of you this morning that are that are experiencing hurts of one kind or another. Someone has offended you or you have offended someone. We want to try to understand this morning what to do about that in order to experience the healing that God wants us to have in that area. The healing in those, in those spiritual and emotional areas. Not only that, there is a great deal going on today in our society, both in churches and through psychologists, that has to do with the whole area of our past experience. The the whole codependency uh, uh, fad that's so popular today. And and what is being called the healing of memories. And taking long periods of time long periods of time for so-called therapy to help people get over their past, to help people get over the hurts that they've experienced. 
the misuse that they may have that they may have gone through. You see, forgiveness, when we understand it properly, will bring the real healing to those experiences, whatever they might be. And we want to try to understand that. The healing of past memories comes through forgiveness. We'll see that. Now, another factor, by way of introduction. There is no real reconciliation without forgiveness. Whether it's reconciliation with God and obviously his forgiveness, or reconciliation in relationships, and it can only take place when there is forgiveness. If forgiveness is lacking, and there is something that I am reserving and holding against another person, and, and my attitude is, they hurt me, they, they did something that was unfair, I can't ever forgive that person, and I hold that, there cannot be reconciliation in that relationship. And that leads us to the next statement. There can be no effective relational structure in your home, in your families, with your friends, or, more importantly, in the body of Christ. There can be no effective functioning in those areas without reconciliation. And reconciliation only comes through forgiveness. And so forgiveness becomes a tremendously basic, important aspect of the Christian life. The forgiveness that we experience for God, from God and the experience that goes on continually in our relationships. And that's what this passage is dealing with in the book of, uh, in the book of, of uh, Luke, the 17th chapter. So if you'd like to turn there with me, let's read the passage that we want to try and understand. Luke 17, 1 through 6. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But woe to the person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So, watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, at first reading, it's a little difficult to try and understand how all this fits together, but it does, very easily, very clearly. You see, first of all, he makes a statement. He says, the natural tendency of every individual is to be offensive. That's what he said. It's, he says things that cause people to sin are bound to come. We human beings can be very offensive. That's just the nature of the, of the human heart. When we want our way, we can be offensive. 
when someone does something that we don't like, we can retaliate and say something sharp and, and something hurtful. We can be very offensive. The best of us, without being without even realizing it sometimes, we fall into those patterns so easily that we can do it without even being aware of it. And that's why he tells us a little bit later, when somebody does that, you're to, you're to approach them and make them aware of it, and then we'll see what else happens as a result of that. But the first thing he wants us to understand, this is going to go on. In your relationships, those people that you relate to, those people here in the body that, that claim to be believers, that, that are following, that are seeking to follow God and seeking to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to offend one another. Sometimes unintentionally and sometimes intentionally. It's amazing the things that people can say to one another. Carelessly, without thinking, but things that cut and hurt. So Jesus said, just be aware of that. Don't be surprised that it goes on all the time. In the counseling I've done in the past, one of the things I deal with continually is this very thing that happens in homes of believers, husbands and wives and parents and children, and things that they say to one another and the way they behave with one another and the offenses that it creates and the barriers that are put up and the conflict that develops and how do you handle all those things. So Jesus said, don't be surprised. That's just going to be part of, a part of the package. But then he gives us a second warning. Not only is this going to happen, but make sure that you're not the one who is offending. It's going to happen. But you be careful not to be the one who is offending someone else. Notice what he says. Woe to the person through whom these offenses come. Don't do it. And then he gives an illustration. He says, this is serious enough. And this little, this little illustration that he gives or example, he says it's important enough and it's serious enough that if a person does that, it would be better for them if you tied a big stone around their neck and threw them in the ocean and let them die. Now, that's pretty serious. But Jesus said, want me to be serious about this. Don't be the one who causes offense. Especially, he says, this little phrase, these little ones, by the way, doesn't mean children. In the original language, what it really means is those who are new and young in the faith, particularly. Those who are not strong in the faith. But it's not limited to them. All of us. All of us need to recognize that we need to be careful how we speak, that we not offend, that we not hurt, that we not put people down, that we not criticize unjustly, that we not be judgmental. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't do that. Watch yourselves. The beginning of verse 3, that little phrase there. Important phrase. Watch yourselves. Some Bibles say, take heed to yourselves. Don't let these things happen. And then he goes on and he says, now, how do we handle it when it does happen? How do we handle it when it does happen? Let me suggest another verse that you might look at sometime. 
in the book of Mark. This is Jesus' standard, if you please, or a biblical prerequisite for this whole matter of forgiveness. Mark 11, verse 25. Notice what he says. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Now, folks, there is a biblical principle that we must never forget. When you are praying and God brings to your mind something that you are holding against someone, forgive them. Now, a lot of people, and there's a teaching that's going around that says you never forgive someone until they repent. I want to get to that in a moment because he says that down a little bit further. But in this passage that we just looked at in Luke, the 11, or Mark, the 11th chapter, and, and verse 25, there's nothing there about repentance. It is entirely my responsibility to forgive the moment that I recognize I have something against someone. They've offended me. I am to forgive them. The same thing is true, by the way, in Ephesians 4.32. In Ephesians 4.32, God tells us that we are to forgive one another as God has forgiven us in Christ. Be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Nothing there about the other person repenting, simply my responsibility to forgive, just as God has forgiven me. Now, I'll explain that a little bit because there is something we need to understand about that. But for now, let's just establish the fact that the first responsibility is mine. The first responsibility in this whole process is for me to forgive, not to wait until I see some fruit of repentance in the life of the other person. My, my responsibility is simply to forgive them. Let's go on. Let's look at the rest of this passage. So, he starts out. He says, all right, now here's, a, here's an example for you. I say, watch yourselves. Don't be the one who offends. Now, if your brother offends, if he sins, rebuke him. We'll come back and see what that word means in a moment. If he repents, forgive him. Now, there is where people pick that up. If he repents, forgive him. Now, let me explain something to you. First of all, the word rebuke is a very important word. It does not mean speak harshly to that person. It does not mean go and correct them harshly. It does mean reprove them, but the word that is used is a very interesting word. It means to confer honor on that person. To confer honor on them, on, on them by letting them know you care. By going to them in love. Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love. Let us grow up into Christ. So we do want to bring it to the attention of that individual. 
for their sake. Not just because they've offended us, but because for their sake, they need to recognize and make whatever adjustment they need in their lives. And so we're, we're conferring honor on them by approaching them and calling it to their attention. The way we do it is, of course, the key. And the key is to do it in love, to do it with their best interests at heart, not to do it because they've hurt me, not to do it for my sake, but to do it because I love that person and I want to help them understand what they're doing. They may not be aware of it. They may not be aware and may not recognize what they're doing. Now, remember, we have another precedent that, that the Bible has established for us. In Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses three through five, we're reminded that we're to take the log out of our own eye in order to see the speck in my brother's eye. And so before I go to that person to reprove them in love, I need to make sure that my own life is where it needs to be. I know very often in my relationship with Florine through these 47 years of marriage, very often, if I do this, if I take the log out of my own eye first, all of a sudden I realize there wasn't a speck in her eye at all. It was just me. I was seeing things the way I wanted to. And it was I who needed the correcting. It was I who needed to, to start with myself, begin with myself. And so in this process, if your brother sins, you're to rebuke him. That's true. Reprove him in love. But making sure that the log is out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye. But the ministry of reproof is very real. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish, reprove one another. So, it's a very real ministry that we can have. It's a very important ministry that Jesus is saying here. That we are to do this for our brother, for his sake, for her sake not just because they've offended me. And the real reason for doing this is found in Galatians 6.1. Galatians 6.1 says, If your brother sins, you which are spiritual, restore him, restore her, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted in the same way. So now we have a little pattern here. Jesus said, if a brother sins, rebuke him. We've seen that that means you go to him in love. You go to him for his sake. You go to him because you're bestowing honor on him, trying to help him. And then we see in this other passage that we've just looked at, that we're to do it to restore that one. To restore them to their own level of fellowship with God to restore them to a place of effectiveness in their own lives. See, that's bestowing honor on them. That's helping them reach the place that God wants them to reach. Now it's interesting, the word forgive. In that passage that I mentioned a moment ago, in Ephesians 4.32, where we're to forgive as God has forgiven us, 
The word that's used there is the word karizomai, which is from the word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, which is the word for grace. Forgiveness is a ministry of grace. It's an act of grace. It's something we do by the grace of God, not in our own strength. We don't feel like forgiving. We've been offended. But by the grace of God, if we obey the word of God, we can take the step of forgiveness, regardless of our feelings. You see, forgiveness is an act of the will, not based on emotions. If we based forgiveness on our emotions, many a time there would be no forgiveness because we feel very hurt. We feel like we've been offended. We feel like we have a right to feel this way. We feel like we'd like to to, to keep some kind of retribution on that person, especially when the hurt is deep, when there's been a, a divorce in the family or a separation or there has been abuse, any of those grievous things. We don't feel like forgiving. And yet, the Word of God says that's what we're to do. Regardless of how we feel, we're to confer that honor and we are to give that, that expression as an act of grace. That's why God said through Paul, in every situation, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In James, the fourth chapter, verse 6, God says he gives grace to the humble. Forgiveness is probably one of the most real acts of true humility that we can experience. Because we are putting aside all of that which is important to me. All of the things that I feel. The way that my, quote, rights have been offended. I'm putting that aside in order to act on the basis of forgiveness. It's an act of real humility. You see, when I forgive, when I forgive, I am doing what Jesus did when he forgave us on the cross. When he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. What did Jesus mean? When he was there on the cross, Jesus took on himself the offenses of people and yet extended forgiveness to them. That is what it requires for you and me. That is what it takes. We actually take on ourselves the offense of the other person. We didn't do it. They did. But because we're willing to forgive, we take on ourselves that offense in an act of grace, in an act of humility. Now, one thing that we've got to be careful of here on this passage, it says you do that seven times. Even if it happens seven times in a day, you do it. Someone says, that's good. On the eighth time, watch out. And that's how we act sometimes. Man, I've forgiven that person so many times, this time, that's enough. 
No, there isn't any end in God's economy to what he wants us to do in this matter of forgiveness. Now, I want us to take an honest look at forgiveness as we wind this up this morning. Out of this chapter that we're looking at in Luke 17. First of all, the word that's used for forgiveness here. Now, I said there's another word in in, uh, Ephesians 4.32. The word that comes from grace, charis. But there's another word that's used here. It's an interesting word. I was surprised when I did the study to find that it's a totally different word and has a totally different meaning. The word that's used here actually means to dismiss or release that person from that offense. To dismiss them. To release them. It's a strong word. It's the thing that Jesus exhibited when, remember, they brought the woman in John the 8th chapter, the woman who had been involved in in promiscuity and adultery, probably in prostitution. They brought her to him, remember? And the man said, Moses said we should stone her. Jesus said, that's right, I agree with Moses, and whoever among you is without sin, pick up the first stone and throw it, and then we'll join you. And of course, you remember, it says they all left, because they all realized they had no right to make that kind of judgment. So then Jesus went to the woman, and he looked at her in the eyes, and he said, where are your accusers? Doesn't anybody accuse you? And she said, she looked around, and there was nobody there, and she said, no one, Lord. And then Jesus graciously, graciously, here's the grace, graciously said to her, neither do I accuse you. I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Note something. There was no evidence, no statement of repentance. There was no guarantee that she was not going to go back into that lifestyle. Jesus conferred his forgiveness as an act of grace. That is what forgiveness is. It's an act of the will, as I said earlier. It cannot be based on the matter of feelings. It is a willingness to release that person, to excuse that person from that offense, to set them free from that offense. Now, the disciples, very much like us, they heard this, They said, now, Lord, this is a hard saying. Increase our faith so that we might be able to do this. Jesus' answer is a little bit perturbing sometimes, but let me see if I can explain it. He said, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. What was Jesus trying to communicate? Or communicating, not trying to communicate. It's just that we don't understand sometimes. Jesus was saying to his disciples, Gentlemen, you don't need more faith. You need more obedience. And if you would obey, if you would do what I'm telling you to do, It would be as though you said to this tree, be cast into the sea, and it would be cast into the sea. In other words, the the tremendously miraculous results of forgiveness would surprise you. You don't need more faith. You just need to obey what I've just told you. 
If he sins, you rebuke him. If he repents, you forgive him. Seven times in a day. Just obey it. Just do it. And you'll be surprised at the results. And that's what he says to you and me this morning. Because there are certain situations in your life this morning, and you're saying, George, I can hear what you're saying, but you don't know how deeply I've been hurt. You don't know the circumstances. And it's true, I don't. But God does. And in view of those circumstances, he still says, your first responsibility is to forgive. Just to obey. Just to do what he says. Now, let's look at this matter of repentance. I said earlier, there are some who are saying you don't forgive until the person has repented. I want to suggest to you again, that is not true. You forgive, regardless of what the other person's response is. It's your responsibility. God says, I am to forgive. Not, not when this happens or when that takes place. He simply says, I am to forgive. Please understand, the reason for the importance of that is for my sake. The freedom that it will give me, the freedom of forgiveness in my life, it will set me free. When I am, when I, when I am unwilling to do that, I am opening the door for the enemy to come in and disrupt and even destroy me. Not just the relationship, but me. If I harbor resentment, that resentment is going to turn into bitterness. And ultimately, the Bible says, it will defile many. We're told that very clearly. Be careful that you do not allow, in Hebrews 12:15, that you not allow a spirit of bitterness to grow in you. A root of bitterness. Because it will defile many. The first reason for forgiveness is for the healing that I will experience. The freedom that I will experience. I will be set free from that hurt, whatever the hurt has been. And I'll be set free to glorify God and to serve Him with, with more freedom and with more effectiveness when my heart has been cleansed and purged of that, of that possible resentment and bitterness that there would be. So the first reason regarding this matter of forgiveness is my own well-being. Well, what about the repentance of the other person? If Jesus said, if he repents, do it. If he repents seven times, do it. Now, the fact is, as you stop and think about it, if he's doing this over and over again seven times a day, there really, even though he says, I repent, there really isn't any fruit of repentance. That's why Jesus used seven times. He said, this is, this is to show you that you may not see the fruit of repentance immediately, but you're to forgive. Now, let me make this clear. Repentance is imperative, it's important, and without repentance, listen carefully, the recipient of forgiveness, the person that is being forgiven, without repentance, that person will not experience the fruit of, of forgiveness. See, that is true. And without repentance, 
There will not be a reconciliation of the relationship. Until that person is willing to repent, they cannot experience the fruit of forgiveness. But that's the other person. That's where the repentance factor comes in. But as far as forgiveness is concerned and my extending it and giving it to someone for my sake, that's initial and that cannot be excused and that cannot be allowed to continue without forgiveness. Let me read something for you. Jesus teaching about this, or Paul, excuse me, teaching about this, said, I forgive that person that you have forgiven in your fellowship. I'm not there. I don't know what's going on, but I have confidence in you. You have forgiven him. I forgive him. But the reason we must forgive is that we do not want to give Satan a foothold. Remember that statement? We do not want to give Satan a foothold. When we withhold forgiveness, we're opening the door for the enemy to get in. First of all, to our lives. Secondly, in this relationship. And third, in the effect that it will have in a larger circle. Repentance is important in forgiveness, but only for the person receiving the forgiveness. It is not a standard for the person offering forgiveness. God forgives us. He extends forgiveness to us, but but the only way we experience forgiveness from God is when we repent. But His forgiveness is there. Repentance on my part allows me to be a recipient of His forgiveness. And in a relationship, the same thing is true. My responsibility is to offer forgiveness. And if that person wants to experience the reality of that forgiveness in reconciliation, in our relationship, that person needs to experience the reality of repentance. I've told you the story on other occasions of a very poignant experience that I had. When I was young, I developed and grew up with an unbridled bad attitude. It was, it was evident in a number of ways. My temper would demonstrate itself in lots of ways. Uh, mostly on the, on the athletic field, in basketball and football. But later when I got married, it showed up in our marriage as well. Now, I never, my temper never was such that I physically hurt or abused anybody or in any way used it in that way. My temper was more an impatience, harsh remarks, hurting, cutting remarks, saying things to Florine and then just kind of walking away and leaving her. And as God dealt with me and I realized what was happening, I I would quickly go back within a few minutes and I would tell her I was sorry. And she would say, okay, this went on for several years in the first years of our marriage. By the way, saying I'm sorry is not repenting. That's not enough. And that's what happened. One day I did that. We were living in Quito, Ecuador. We were missionaries down there. Very clear in my mind. I said 
something, walked away, immediately, within seconds, literally, came back and I said, sweetheart, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And she looked at me and she said, George, I don't believe you. I said, I just told you I'm sorry. She said, I know. But if you were really sorry, you would do something to change. That's what repentance is. Saying sorry is not enough. Repentance means turning around and changing that and correcting it. And by the grace of God, that began to happen. So repentance has a place, but for the recipient, not for the one who is giving forgiveness. I hope that's clear. Now, real quickly, just three things I want to mention about forgiveness. Forgiveness is, first of all, very hard because of who we are. Because of our own sinful self-centeredness, forgiveness is hard. The the flesh desires to strike back when somebody has offended. The flesh desires to do something. They, They need to pay for something somehow. That's the response. The human, natural, normal, ungodly response. Revenge. But revenge is unprofitable. It's bitter, and it's unsatisfying. Those who have experienced it know that's true. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't answer anything. So forgiveness is difficult. It's hard. Third, because it's hard, If we don't do it, as I said earlier, there's a personal destructiveness that goes on. We are torn up inside. Our lives are not what they should be. The other person may not even be aware of it. But we're suffering. And we're not following what God has said. So it's hard. Second, forgiveness is costly. It costs very much. To forgive. It cost Jesus his life. That's why he came. To bring forgiveness. And it will cost us a great deal. Pride. Rights. Giving up some of the things we feel. Forgiveness is costly. Jesus said, if any man wants to come after me, he must be willing to give up all rights to himself. This is part of the giving up of all rights. To forgive. To forgive. Now, forgiveness doesn't deny or overlook the offense. We don't just close our eyes and say, well, that didn't bother me. Down inside, we're churning. See, that happens a lot. Didn't that hurt you, what that person said? Oh, no, man, doesn't bother me at all. But down inside, there's a knot in my stomach. See, that's not, that's not true, and that's not real. Forgiveness is admitting and recognizing my response, but doing something about it. And then finally, forgiveness is healing, very healing. Healing to you and healing to the other person when they repent. Now, people always ask me, well, fine, you've told me what forgiveness is, but I want to tell you something. I'll forgive, I'll I'll do that, but I'm not going to forget that. Well, see then you're not really forgiving. 
Now, that doesn't mean to say that when you forgive, you're going to forget. No, no. Forgiveness is an act of the will. Forgetting is a process of choices. And the way we forget, three suggestions. The way we forget, number one, don't continue to brood over the offense. Don't keep thinking about it. Don't, don't review it. Every time it comes up, just go back to the fact that you have forgiven and you're not going to keep thinking about that. It won't be easy. I said that it's hard. But this is the step to, to help you forget. Secondly, don't raise the issue again to that person. How often husbands and wives have said to me, well, I did, I forgave her. Five years ago when that happened, I forgave her. But, but I just, you know, I, I want her to know that I forgave her. You know, where is the forgiveness? God says as far as the east is from the west, so far has removed our transgressions from us. In another place it says he's put them in the sea, never to be remembered against us again. Does that mean God doesn't have a memory? Of course not. It simply means he chooses not to bring them up again. And that's what we have to do. So we don't bring it up again to that person or to someone else. Don't keep talking about it, the third thing. Don't keep discussing it with somebody else. You must allow that to die in order to forget. It won't happen immediately, but it will happen. It will happen. And then I want to ask you to remember one last thing. You are not alone in doing this. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The last half of verse 12. In other words, do what you know you should do. And we've just talked about one thing that we're de dealing with this morning, and that is forgiving. If there is someone that needs to be forgiven, you forgive. Forgive. If you have offended someone and you need to go and ask for forgiveness, you do that. You do what you know you should do. And then verse 13 says, God is at work in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. You're not alone. The minute you make a choice to forgive, God says, I'll help you. I'll give you the grace. I'll sustain you. I'll help you through this. But the choice is yours to forgive. We're to forgive just as God has forgiven us in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you have been gracious to us. You have forgiven us. Those of us who have come and asked for forgiveness, confessed our sins, you have forgiven us. Those of us who have been willing to repent, you have forgiven us. You've told us if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you that you have made allowance for us to forgive one another. And you've instructed us how important it is and how we should do it. I pray this morning, if there are areas that are unhealed in lives that need to be healed by virtue of forgiveness 
whether it's forgiveness that I extend or forgiveness that I ask for because I have offended. I pray that you would work in people's lives this morning and make this an experience of reality that we might all experience the freedom of forgiveness. I'd like to just ask two things quickly as we close. As you've listened to this, and you think of something that you need to forgive in somebody else's life, it's come to your mind, and you need to say, I, I want to go to that person and forgive them. Or if you can't go to them, at least make a determination in your life you're going to forgive them. If that's happened, would you just slip your hand up real quickly? I want to pray for you. Yes. Yes. Another